hello and welcome back to Sports Weekly. For the first time in a month, it's all three of us together again. Chris, say hi. Hello. Josh, say hi. Hi. And everybody, welcome to Sports Weekly. So we're back together again for three, I was going to say amigos, but we don't actually like each other. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that (laughs) for the first, that's a lie. For the first time, we can actually see each other on the screen. Decided to video it instead of um, audio call. So how does my lovely face look, guys? Go on, Josh. Tell him him the good news. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beard's great. Upwards from the beard, not so good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Forehead, like from the forehead. I mean, forehead downwards, that's where it starts to get really I'm enjoying messy. how blue you look. Really blue, yeah. We noticed I look really blue. There's some kind of light there. And I understand that when it's a podcast, people can't see where there is. But behind my right shoulder, there just appears to be a big, bold flash of light. Everywhere else is blue. But Normally it's a red light when you're recording something as well. So. Yeah. And in Amsterdam, lots of red lights. It's for you to comment on. Well, great part of the city. <laughs> great call. uh how are you chris i'm great thank you yeah yeah it's been a been a good weekend put up the christmas tree nice um, feeling yeah, festive i am yeah um played football friday night uh had to lend my brother the boots so i played in trainers uh, nice. slipped over on Ast- on astroturf and then I've removed all of the skin from both elbows so nice yeah so yeah it's a bit sore Warning, Chris. Never a good I, idea. But I did score yeah. a screamer. I saw a screamer half an hour later, so didn't let it affect me. Which corner? Top right. Oh, right yeah, in the was... stanchion, the postage stamp. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Nice. How are you, Josh? <laughs> I mean, I'm say, I'm asking how you are. I saw you yesterday. You look like death. Uh, yeah. Look, feel not like past tense. Not now. <laughs> death plus one today. Slightly uh-huh. better, but uh, pretty pretty rough. You were um, suffering the effects of a hangover yesterday. Yeah, you, you might say that. You might say but, that. Uh, Overindulged but, at a wedding. Yeah, understandable. If you can't enjoy yourself at a wedding, when can you enjoy yourself? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it was just the lovely hangover cure I needed to, to see a, you know, a six-point gap between second and third oh, place right. and the best goal uh, difference in the league. So yeah, There's yeah, no need to. We won't talk about that one. No, we are. We're talking about that later. So we're not <laughs> going to go through that now because you'll we'll press me twice in the in the space of half an hour. But um went to Matlock yesterday, didn't we, Josh? We did, yeah. Lovely, not lovely ju- little town. Not just us two, I might add. There were other people <laughs> there. That'd be a bit strange. But I mean, yeah, I wanted it to be us two, but yeah. yeah, Fran had to come along. She had to, I know. What is she what is she playing at? It's just not nice. What are wives like, eh? I mean, I geez, I was, come along. Did you go did you guys go to the steakhouse in Matlock? No, we went to the weirdest bar. Was um, it called Tipsy Toad? No, it was called Harvey's. Um, oh, okay. A lovely owner, I have to say. But <laughs> really we got right. there at just before two o'clock and nobody was in there. Mm. We had the whole bar to ourselves. <laughs> uh, and then proceeded. To, some people proceeded to walk in at some point. But at one point, I thought it was the end of us, Josh. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit worried. Um, mm. But no, hey, cheap drinks and... A questionable quality um, of signal on the TV to watch the a football. Very poor aerial connector going on. Weird. It seemed like every time the door opened or the the beer tap was on, the signal just went. And we didn't know if it was raining 
or we actually couldn't see who was playing, to be honest. So that was fun. Every 10 or so minutes. It was a nice flashback to like late 90s, sort of pre uh, sort of satellite TV. Yeah, loved it. I'm thinking um, from your description, I'm thinking of UEFA Cup Channel 5. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Think about yeah. Like that. Yeah, but we couldn't hear the commentary <laughs> either. So it's almost like an old, an old game of Pro Evo from like the PS One. That kind of quality of of view with that commentary as well, because as you always <laughs> you always mute Pro, Pro Evo commentary, don't you? <laughs> well, the the Pro Evo currently has the excited tones of Peter Drury, so I absolutely turn it up because he's such a good commentator. <laughs> He does get really excited like all the time, though. Yeah, he's amazing. Love it. Anytime best, anybody best shoots, it's... Aguero! Maybe we should do as a poll, uh, best commentator. There's an idea. David Pleat. <laughs> He'd always yeah, say, no good evening, ever. ladies and gentlemen, which I always enjoy. That was very, very uh, polite. Oh, there's some great quotes from David, David Pleat over the years. But, you know, we could go into that. That might be a future topic. I like that, Chris, best commentator. And then we'll go through all of the stupidities of some of the co-commentators from, from <laughs> yesteryear. Um, I had to let you know, I've been looking at... It, it was a wiki how on how to make a good podcast. I was just curious to see if we're following it. Okay, It's 14 steps on how to make a good podcast. Step two, choose a podcast topic that you're passionate about. There's no magic formula for making a hit podcast. But WikiHow are trying to give me 14 points or a magic formula to make to make these podcasts. Um, step three, determine which format suits your topic and style. There are no rules when it comes to making a podcast. And yet they give me 14 rules on how to make a podcast. So it's very fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought it'd be interesting to go through them and see if we are, according to WikiHow, although there's no formula to follow, if we follow the 14-point formula, whether we are making a good podcast or not. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Do you listen to podcasts for ideas and inspiration? Yeah, I do. I listen to podcasts, but I don't need their inspiration. I'm inspired now. <laughs> inspired enough, yeah. Any in particular? Because I tend to go for like Peter Crouch podcast or the Horn Section podcast. I mean, mm. varied for sport or just pure comfort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely need some more musical interludes in this podcast from the horn yeah. section. That'd be good. I agree. I'm a big Atletico Mints fan. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge fan. And I've just, yeah, just signed up to their sort of extra subscriber only to advance tickets. content. I oh, know. Big fan. Uh, and then I, like you, Chris, I like the Totally Football Show on occasion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was very good. Did I speak to you about that live show, Josh? That was yeah, yeah was it was good. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, very enjoyable uh, evening. Yeah, would recommend it definitely. Mm. Well, point two. Obviously, did, a... did you find their did you find their kind of uh, commentary a bit lacking in insight compared to ours, or are we, <laughs> are we aspiring there was to some, them? There was some they very go on a tangent stuff, as much as we do. Yeah, they did actually. Oh, yeah. okay, that's all right. <laughs> makes me feel that makes me feel better because so far we've talked about Peter Drury, uh, Pro Evo. <laughs> Football in Channel 5 and the <laughs> lovely market town of um, Matlock. Matlock, wherever it was. We were. Um, so, breadth. That's one breadth of topics. Uh, point two, choose a podcast topic that you're passionate about. I feel like we're passionate yeah. about sport. I think we've, we've got that. We've got that one, Vic. It's one and two ticked on the 
rules for making a good podcast, even though there's no rules for making a good podcast. Um, determine which format suits your topic and style. Interview, monologue, and there, multiple host. So, ticking that box. Tick. <laughs> Determine that format. Imagine, imagine if I'd released this as a monologue and it was just me. <laughs> just this place <laughs> over again? You've 90 minutes in front of the camera. Wow. I think, yeah. The, the one listener we've got would have switched off by now. <laughs> Put in far more time preparing than you do recording. I mean, accumulatively. <laughs> uh, we record for about an hour and 45 minutes, an hour and a half. So... Well, if, I you think count, if you count watching the matches, that's some prep, isn't yeah, it? I, I we think so. Prepare prep. for a lot, yeah, a lot more time than we record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. reading Match articles. The day, yeah. Watching the, actually live the sports that we enjoy, reading articles about them. Yeah. Oh, right. that's all part of the that one. Yeah. It, Number it? five, write a script or sketch out the content for your podcast. Yeah. They're completely unscripted. Completely unscripted. <laughs> well, actually, there no. <laughs> Dan, you put together. What, like what are you talking about? Day. People are. Are you expecting people to believe that this isn't completely scripted? Because <laughs> <laughs> that is. That's not on that. Um, it says leave lots of room for improvisation. So that's good news. Yeah, yeah. nailed it. Uh, point six pretend you're talking to a single member of your target audience. I mean, we've only got one audience member. So <laughs> and it's very me, literal. So I just talk to, to myself. Um, yeah, I think that works. So we've done part one. Part one's there. Part two, producing your con, uh, producing your podcast. Gather the necessary recording hardware, laptop, microphone, headphones, and uh, a mic stand. Check. Got that one. Mm-hmm. Record your podcast in a room. Are you doing that? Um, Confirm <laughs> that I'm in a room. I'm in the garden. So, it uh, says with I, least... I failed this one. Yeah. <laughs> it says with at least basic soundproofing, but I'm, I'm counting walls. Walls is basically soundproof. Double glazing. Minute, minute. Double glazing. I like a door. So that yeah. works. Um, use some software to edit your podcast audio. I mean, let's skip that past that one. You need to edit <laughs> this. I mean, this is absolute gold. Um, and keep going past that. Oh, no. Produce consistent content on a consistent schedule. We've, we've fallen down, boys. We've not done it for four weeks. Uh, <laughs> we were. Our listeners down. We were weekly before that. We just took a, a mid-season winter break. Okay. <laughs> and then it says social media. Check. Promote your podcast. I mean, Chris has told his brother about it, so that counts. I told my mum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She still I won't told listen. my mum, but she said she didn't care. Uh, <laughs> said she wasn't my mum. So, um, And then build name recognition as a guest on other podcasts. So... Everything apart from point fourteen. So that's your well, homework. Find another podcast and invite yourself onto so, it. Dan, you're on the horn section. Yeah. Chris, you're on uh, Totally Football Show, and I'm on Mint. I did. <laughs> I did get. A, I did get a question read out on a fantasy football podcast the other day. So. Does that count? I but, feel like that counts. No, because I was also using a pseudonym, so they wouldn't what? notice me anyway. So. <laughs> That's... You're not Sports Weekly Chris, wherever you yeah. go. <laughs> no, wait, I should probably Sports Weekly Chris from now on. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I once got a tweet read out, not read out, but posted out on BBC Sport, if that counts. 
pretty good. Yeah. Again, well, it, it, it wasn't as Sports Weekly, so we need to work on that. That's the only thing we need to work on. Yeah. Something we could actually take away. Yeah, yeah, right. We got 13 out of 14 ticked. We need one more because at the minute that makes it not a good podcast, according to WikiHow. So <laughs> one more, fellas. Let's keep working on it. Anyway, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the show. So our first topic this week is twofold, I suppose. The Manchester Derby and the Sports Weekly Derby. Sorry, Chris, you're not involved in the Sports Weekly Derby. But I mean, Villa are your second favourite team. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) you laughed as if they weren't, but that's not what you told me the other day. So um, it's me and you versus Josh for that one. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk about the Manchester Derby first. What did you rec- what did you make of it, Chris? Because an insane game. I'm sure a massive coupon buster that loads of people had down as a Man City win. But Man United just completely bossed it. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think most games that Man City play are they're sort of the favourites, aren't they? But um yeah, I certainly thought they'd brush aside Manchester United. Especially as uh, when they played Burnley in midweek, they looked a lot better than they have recently. Like they looked a lot more back to their usual selves. But actually, having <laughs> things are always good with hindsight, aren't they? And after Burnley got destroyed at the weekend, it was probably just Burnley not being very good. Um, oh yeah, I mean they, they have been much less tough. Than they yeah, have in recent games. Uh, recently, the, sorry, less of the grit that you normally get with a Sean Dyche's side uh, <laughs> in evidence recently. But um, yeah, I think Manchester United just. Their counter-attacking was, was really spot on. And the usual pressing and uh, blocking of like the passing avenues that Manchester City liked to do to just shut their opposition just wasn't really working to its usual standard. And it enabled Manchester United to get a foothold in the game fairly easily. Um, and this sort of habit that Pep Guardiola sides have of conceding goals and kind of clusters came up again uh, as they even between the two goals there was another two good chances to score so man, it could have man you had so many good chances in that first half yeah they yeah could have been so far ahead yeah the one that Rashford hit the bar well, that was quite a tough chance actually but it yeah wasn't it was only a foot off going in um and I also thought um Wan-Bissaka nullified Sterling really well he was like, he had a fantastic game amazing match. Yeah. just can't when he's in the mood, no well, no winger can really get past him. He is kind of like the killer of left wingers when he's yeah. when he's when he's on form. Um, so I thought he had a particularly good game as well. Um, but it could, yeah, indebted to uh, De Gea at the end there because yeah. he made a brilliant save from Mares, wasn't it? I think. And surely um, that gives him confidence going forward because he's not had the best of seasons, probably by his own admission. But who's that? De Gea. De Gea. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not quite up to his usual. I think he's playing better than last year, though. I thought he was particularly yeah. off form last year. I think he's performing a bit better this year. Um, but yeah, great for Manchester United. And they seem to relish playing the tougher sides. They've now beaten Manchester City. They beat Chelsea 4-0 on the opening day. They've got a point off Liverpool, who are the only team to do so yeah. in this year, I think. And a point and off Villa. Which is insane. Man, you've um, got a point off Villa too, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that'll be Game high. Yeah. Beat That's why he uses he uses that result to psych them up. Solskjaer is like, remember, lads, we got a point. We got off one off Villa, so come on, we can do it. And that's the probably what more like is that the Norwegian twang. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was probably the deer during with Villa. They were so embarrassed there, they just had to <laughs> had to get out and perform oh, better. Next two days. 
I mean, Josh, no, no offence to you or to Leicester City intended whatsoever, but it seems to me like Manchester United are best when playing on the counter-attack. They did it against Chelsea and beat them 4-0. They did it against Manchester City and beat them 2-1. They did it against Spurs and beat them 2-1. They did it against Liverpool and, and the only team, as Chris said, to take points off them this year. Now, if it was me as manager, and again, we've established I'm better than so many of the other managers in the Premier League, but if it was me as manager, I'd be, even though it's Manchester United, and it, they should be seen to be dominating games because Manchester United used to win loads of trophies. If it was me, I'd be setting them up to counter-attack against every team and then using the pace of Martial, James and Rashford to hit teams hard. And when Pogba comes back, you've simply got Fred and McTominay holding. Pogba takes Pereira or Lingard's position because Pogba is much better than both of those players. And you use the, the base of McTominay and Fred to then set off a quick counter against teams, almost invite teams onto you and then counter against them like Leicester did when they won the title. Do you not think that's a better way for them to set up against teams? Definitely. Like you say, they've just got so much pace up front. Martial, Rashford and Lingard just looked frightening yesterday. They they just... You could barely think of a forward line apart from maybe Liverpool who are quicker. And yeah, it's just the expectation of the fans, I suppose. Are they going to accept sitting back against any team when you're old, you're at the theatre of dreams and you're kind of, you know, you're playing on the counter. It's seen as like a counter-punches kind of tactic, isn't it? I, I agree. However, would their fans prefer for them to be higher at the table and winning more games? And if they would, I think they would accept the fact that they can be an exciting counter-attacking team. And for, I mean, it worked for Leicester. Leicester won the league, mm. and, and but still had players like Mares. Um, who could produce the absolute insane um, mm. during during games and take on a few players and smash one in the top corner, which Manchester United have also got. To relate it to to what I know, when Villa were playing under Martin O'Neill, we counter-attacked against so many teams and hit them with the likes of Agbon Lahore, Ashley Young, Stuart Downing, James Milner, and caused teams real problems. And it seems to me that that would be a more exciting way and would see Man United win more games if they just use that to their advantage. Mm. I think, in theory, it sounds great. But when you kind of come up against Burnley, for example, yeah, you, you, Burnley aren't going to dominate possession. They never are going to. So you've, you've got to accept that Man United are going to have the ball and they have to have like a playmaker in the middle, which, to be honest, at the minute, they lack with Pogba out uh, to break teams down. There's not... You don't expect teams like yeah, down the bottom half of the table that are going to even try and dominate possession. They're not going to want to. But yeah, yeah. I, it worked for, like, worked for Villa, worked for Leicester, and perhaps it could work for United. I think you see sides struggle with that. Like uh, Tottenham a few years ago were kind of beating good sides on their day, but then when a team turns up and just with two banks of four and just wants to defend, they don't break through them because, like you say, they haven't got a really creative midfielder in the side which is probably well, one they, area they that's have. they have but he's what, played far Pogba. too deep far too deep who, you've who seen what thinking? Pogba yeah you see yeah but he's injured with... anyway isn't he yeah true well, but I, seen... I think you're right I would if, if and when Pogba comes back I would definitely play in favour of the field especially as McTominay and Fred are forming quite a useful partnership and and both in this little run they've had, both McTominay and Fred have been very good for Manchester United. And Fred's finally coming forward as a type of player. He's never had a type. We didn't know whether he was a box-to-box, a creative midfielder, mm. a defensive mm. midfielder, but he finally looks like someone who can play alongside a McTominay and provide that extra cover for defence before playing simple passes out. 
But you, the minute you've got Pereira and Lingard, who aren't good enough to open teams on the mm. floor, whereas mm. Pogba is that. And if if uh, Mourinho can get a massive tune out of Deli Ali by just playing him that further forward and causing defences problems, then I think that Solskjaer can can follow that suit and, and do the same with Deli Ali. Uh, uh, with Pogba. Paul Pogba. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I, I agree with you. That's probably what I where I put him when he's back in the team, really. Because imagine, then, imagine Pogba behind Martial with Rashford on yeah, one side exactly. and James on the other. And that's right. James on the other, yeah. I think and Pogba... I think that fits together nicely. And yeah. Pogba also he just makes amazing late runs as well. He's like a sort of... Yeah. He, he's not only a playmaker, but he will he will score as well. Mm. But, I mean, that's presuming that Solskjaer can get the best out of him. That's been the big thing around Pogba, hasn't it? But, but gonna... the, the fact that managers continue to move him deeper and deeper, get asking him to do the defensive side of things, which isn't his strong point. He d- the reason no, he was so good he for just, France he was just because he had vows. Yeah, but the reason he was so good for France in the World Cup was because he had Angola Kante beside him, or behind him, I should say. Mm. So therefore, that was allowing him to go forward because he knew that Kante would be back there. But mm-hmm. he's he's been played in a midfield three alongside the likes of Lingard, who has got no defensive bone in his body, one matter at times. Again cannot defend so he's been expected to kind of do what fred is doing and offered and a second line of defense and that's not pogba at all he should be further forward scoring danny Drinkwater, you know spraying the passes from far you know from deep he's uh, and i'm glad you mentioned him josh because i've got a lovely little question for you that i heard on the radio about leicester when we come to them later on okay (laughs) and i'm really interested to know what you think about that um chris ollie gunnar solskjaer has now beaten pep and has beaten jose Mourinho. Is he the best manager in the world? <laughs> <laughs> but ser- but ser- he, just, he must deserve a lot of credit, surely, for because he out-tactic both of them. He he knew what they were going to do, let him draw onto them, and then quickly broke against them and, and mm. punished them. Yeah, I think he's showing signs of learning, uh, sort of on the job, really. Um, because uh, he obviously had such a good start to his Manchester United career as the interim coach, and then the wheels kind of fell off a bit towards the end of last season, and towards the start of this season as well. But he's shown in these, particularly these big games, that he knows how to set a side up um, to to hurt the opposition. And yeah, I remember one of his early games was away at Tottenham and he just played Westwood and Marshall as a front two, but got them to run into the wings. And that just stretched uh, Tottenham's defence so much that that led to them uh, winning that particular game. And he's used that, come back to that tactic a few times and it's worked quite well. Um, so I think he, yeah, does deserve a lot of credit for how he's setting his size up in these large, these big matches. He just needs to work out a way now of how to break down the more defensive sides, uh, particularly when they play away from home. Um, yeah, I mean, that you're kind of limited by the plays you've got, but uh, I think he's not found the answer to that particular problem yet. So that'll be his next uh, target in the entry, I think, for over the rest of the season. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see now where he goes from here, whether he builds on those two wins and kind of starts to to, to win a few games on in it on the bounce and, and advance up the mm-hmm. table, or whether he, like Josh said, is a, is, a, is a manager that gets his team prepared and ready for big games, but against the smaller teams can't get them motivated enough, or doesn't have the tactical nous to break them down if they're if their backs are against the wall. Yeah, for, actually, just while we're writing this, it reminds Manchester United fans won't want me to compare these two teams really because they'll they'll think they're a level above. But it's a bit like what Wolves were like last year. Like Wolves kept coming up against the big teams and really putting in a great performance and taking yeah. lots of points away, but lost twice to Huddersfield. And like it hasn't quite got good that team, bad. Good team, though. Huddersfield, good team. <laughs> it, hasn't quite... 
they have got great managers now, but <laughs> they didn't at the time. And no. uh, well, Wagner was pretty good, but uh, yeah, yeah, know, he, was, he was actually very good. Yeah. Well, Wolves the only team they beat all season. I can't. I don't. I swear yeah. they didn't win many more games. Think, they didn't win many games, but they, they, maybe I think they got was it sixteen points they got? So six yeah, of them and they got Wolves. six or four. It's just and that just really cost let Wolves down a bit really last year. So. Um, it's kind of a similar problem we're seeing repeated, just with a, a larger club, really. So yeah, um, and and it's worth it's worth noting that yes, they've beaten those two teams, but they are still below Sheffield United and Wolves in the table, which they absolutely mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be. Right. Um, but yeah. but they've at least closed the gap to Chelsea because yeah, exactly. they're dropping points at the moment, so that they'll be looking at that top four spot as a target, I, I think. So. And with Tottenham picking up more points, Manchester United mm. picking up more points, mm. Chelsea dropping points, Wolves starting to be a, a considerable force again, uh, which they weren't at the start of the season. It, it makes the 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 race for the top four quite exciting, at least. Yeah, Josh, there's been there's been a lot of criticism online, let's say, and uh, over radio stations of of Pep Guardiola. Um, his inability to break down certain teams, the fact that his comments almost suggest that he's given up on the title, um, talking about how he can't compete with certain teams, but also then talking about how he can't compete with the likes of Barcelona, Liverpool, Real Madrid, whatever. So almost given up in Europe as well. So the question is twofold. Number one, they're obviously missing loads loads and loads of players. Um, Laporte... Aguero is injured or just has got injured. Um, who do you think's been the biggest miss for them? And number two, do you think he has actually given up on the title, or is he trying to re- um, kind of get behind his players or get into their heads to make them to make mm. them up their game? I think. Well, first part of your question. I think um, Laporte's been the biggest miss. They look yeah. so shaky at the back. I think. It says um, a lot when he prefer to play Fernandinho at centre back than Otamendi, who's sitting on the bench. Absolutely, and you play Stones, who low on confidence. Or um, Tyrone Mings. Well, absolutely, Tyrone Mings has replaced him in the kind of pecking order for England uh, when John Stones was, you know, just eighteen months ago, was touted as the kind of next big England centre-back that was going to hold do- down the position for years. And it does seem incredible to I me think- that the starting Manchester City centre-back is not England's starting centre-back. And it just does, it tells, tells me all I need to know about John Stones. Mm. I just think with Rashford, Lingard and Martial yesterday, they must have been licking their lips to think that 34-year-old Fernandinho playing out of position, done OK at centre-back, is paired with John Stones. They must have thought... Mm. Blimey, we've got this, guys. We can we can run at them all day. But that is the thing, isn't it? If if you were to see um, Laporte and company as a mm. as a as an opposition team, you you'd almost you'd think, oh, this is going to be such a tough game. But like you said, you see Fernandinho and Stones, and you think we can get at these here. We can really get at them. Yeah. And that's just, what seems to be the case of loads of teams at the minute. You don't think I'm going to be in a physical battle? Uh, no. It's going to be really tough. I'm going to come out with bruises everywhere like at Burnley or something no what you but, do think is if I get on at Stones he's going to give the ball away here and I've got a chance mm, absolutely or he's gonna you know not mark me at a corner because he's just he switches off sometimes uh yeah they've been the biggest miss um I, I mean Aguero they, they have capable deputies in in Jesus and Sterling and I, I feel like he's been a, a less of a miss than than at the back I can't get my head around um, his comments at, at the Champions League. I think the league, I don't think you can ever admit that the title race has gone. You have to fake it till you make it. Um, I don't really understand why he said that publicly, but 
Having said that, eleven points is sorry, fourteen points. Fourteen, 14 points. No, no sides ever overcome that uh, that deficit. It would, it would, it would mean that Liverpool would have to draw seven games, and with Man City winning all of theirs uh, mm-hmm. in that run, and or it would mean Liverpool having to lose five games with Man City winning all those. Um, Every game left in the season. You just yeah, yeah. can't see yeah. Man City stringing a, t- a run together like like last. Last term, no. we're not winning had... teams are no longer frightened of playing Man City because no. they know that they'll get a chance against that. that the, the aura is not there so much anymore. When you no. think, oh, hang on, if I can hit them on the break, um, because previously you'd think that playing Man City, um, oh well, we'll sit back and we'll hit them on the break, but they're usually so good at getting the ball back that you just don't have a chance to break. But this season, they're just not as not as quick to recover possession. I don't feel so. Yeah. Um, I have no idea why he's made the comments publicly, but I would say that, yeah, I don't think they can overturn Liverpool now. No, me neither. And finally on this game, Chris, um, David Silva's been coming in for a bit of criticism from fans. Again, on Twitter, on different radio phone-in shows, um, of course, Man City fans absolutely adore David Silva, but they think that his age is starting to to play against him because against Man, Man U, he was... Just so ineffective. Phil Foden was sat on the bench, did not come on. Do you think that's? Uh, do you think that that's poor from Pep, who has built him up to be the probably the biggest English star that there's ever going to be, and yet he can't get a game in the first team? Do you think he'll come in in the next few games, or do you think that? He's just going to keep sitting on the bench and, and not progressing as a footballer when every single England fan wants to see him play in the first team as much as he possibly can. Um, I don't. I don't. The thing is, none of us actually know how good Foden is because he's so isn't, is that, gets that's a kick. problem though, isn't it? Mm. We should. Yeah, know how but good he, he could is be. Now. He could be like the best young English player around, or he could be pretty average, and Pep's just <laughs> talking him up because Pep has a habit of doing this. Like he'll fresh a team sit and say oh they were so amazing it was the toughest game of the season oh. <laughs> and it's just a load of rubbish so he's just which is exactly could what he's be the next for... Ross Barkley yeah exactly he could be the next Ross Barkley like Ross Barkley was talked up as a young guy at least Ross Barkley was playing for Everton though so or, or Jack Rodman yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly so his English football is littered with players who had a, a large reputation when they were young and then didn't come through um, but we're not going to know that until we see Phil Foden play. If I was Phil Foden, I'd be looking at getting out of there and going and doing what Shade did and going to some like Dortmund or maybe not even abroad, but another team in the Premier League. There'd be like so many teams in the Premier League. Like players. Yeah. Um, there's lots of options there. He seems pretty content from what we see. Do you be... think he's content because he's under Pep and thinks, I- I'm not going to get a better tutelage? Uh, yeah, probably. Else. I know it's, yeah, there's, there is good. Uh, well, it's a little bit patronising in a way, isn't it? That you, yeah. That he praises him all the time, literally. Mm. Oh, he's the best English player yeah. I've ever seen. And, and never it, plays I just him. Think it's more of Pep's usual shtick that he comes out with. And I don't think he actually thinks he's particularly good. Otherwise, he'd be playing in the team ahead of Silva. And on your yeah. point on David Silva, yeah, he's... I think he's still... He can't play the amount of minutes he was playing a year or two ago because the age is cool with him a bit. He's still got a lot of quality on the ball and he scored oh, he's brilliant, and assisted yeah. a lot this season already. I know he didn't have a very good game at the weekend but that can happen to anyone. I still think he's got a lot to offer this season but yeah, I think there is 
there were there was becoming a pressing need for a new creative midfielder to come into that team in that position. Well, if uh, Pep's telling the truth, and if it's Foden not Foden, then they need to go out into the market mm. and find someone else. Yeah, I mean David Silva. Whatever happens, is going to go down as a huge Man City legend, but. It could be that his time at the very, very top is is starting to dwindle. But we move on to the next game because there wasn't just the Manchester derby. There was a Sports Weekly derby as well. Villa were cheated out of it. <sighs> Terrible ref, you know, probably something like that. I don't know, VAR? VAR? Yeah, sure, VAR's fault. Um, I think Vardy cheated at some point, maybe. Vardy's just a bad bloke, isn't he? What, no one likes Vardy. Eight, eight, that guy. Oh, yeah. He got me loads of fancy football points, though, so that was nice. Um <laughs> that was the only upside to to the crushing, humiliating defeat. It could have been it could have been so much more. I mean, to be fair, if Villa had scored in the opening ten minutes, I think it was, where we hit the bar from about six yards out, El Ghazi, I'll give him the benefit of doubt and say it could have bobbled before it got to him, but Villa Park is an abs- um is an absolute carpet of a <laughs> of a ground, so I doubt it did. Um but Josh, it must have been a great feeling for you. The first game we've ever watched together, and I only blew my top once when <laughs> Villa would not shoot. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Did you enjoy the game? Uh, do you know what? First twenty minutes, I really didn't. It was so open. I really it's thought really the end to end, wasn't it? It was. It was really exciting. If I, you know, if I was a neutral, it would have been really enjoyable. But um, both teams were just flying forward, um, and I thought. Yeah, Leicester could really concede here. Al Ghazi, how on earth did he not score? And then I don't know if Villa had scored and then maybe set up differently and sat back a little bit. Um, it could maybe it could have been different, but Leicester were just more clinical, so it was enjoyable. I felt a bit bad for you to be honest, um, uh-huh. but yeah. The was... issue I had is that Villa aren't going to keep keep a clean sheet. We've conceded at least two goals very often this year in most games we've played. So we're not going to keep a clean sheet, especially against Jamie Vardy and especially with James Madison's delivery and um, the the whoever else you had on the on the wings yeah, because it wasn't a good game. Yeah, well, he was brilliant and he was, really uh, he was really good. And you knew as soon as Villa didn't score in the early stages that Leicester were going to come out and they were definitely going to score. So it was going to have to be Villa chasing a game at some point. And as soon as that starts to happen, you know that Leicester pace, Leicester's pace is going to open Villa up. Mm. I mean, it, the line was so high from Villa, you thought you were nearly halfway. You said halfway that so many times, didn't you? And it, But literally, every ball over the top was just yeah. Vardy was running in behind. You're like, do you know, have you seen Jamie Vardy play before? <laughs> do you know sort of what he does? <laughs> have you seen you the 15 keep letting him do it? season? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Uh, I don't feel like it was a really good, perhaps, indicator of how Leicester are doing because it was just... The perfect game for them yeah. in many ways. Um, it was, but no, that's another win. Your team was so suited to to winning that game. Um, I mean, it compounds Villa to another loss, which isn't good for us. But the thing that was worse for Villa was the fact that it's the first game that I think we've been completely dominated, completely outplayed, utterly flat. Like even our best players, John McGinn, Grealish had an okay game, scored, but didn't do much else after that got kicked a few times um mings added to his, added to his fouls count yeah yeah he loves that count uh mings should have gone off and didn't a bit of stubbornness from him but almost conceded a goal anyway from his from his um just i, I want to say calmness but it's not calmness it, it goes beyond that it's it's too nonchalant on the ball too often uh heaton 
probably our only shining light in that game because he made a few wonderful saves. One with his face at one point, which was incredible. Um, Chris, where do you think that leaves Villa after after the result? We're 17th, level points for Southampton. I mean, we, we have... I will... Uh, caveat that with the fact that we have played in recent weeks Leicester, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea. We've got had a really, really tough run. And coming up, we've got the likes of Norwich, Southampton, Sheffield United, the, uh, those kind of teams. Where do you think it leaves Villa the loss? And... Can I just say, it was lovely to hear Leicester in that first group rather than that second. Just felt oh, really lovely. Leicester <laughs> are this season absolutely one of the top dogs. Um, do you worry for Villa? The fact that We've got a £22 million striker that is not a goal threat. Mm. Um, or do you think that we can kind of take some of these results with a pinch of salt because of the teams that we're played against? I do worry a bit because, like you mentioned, the defence is just so, so poor. Uh, like every game you could let in two or three goals. Yeah. And that just gives you a mountain to climb each time. And yeah, you point out a good point about Wesley because he's performing a useful role, but you kind of want him to chip in with a few more goals. He has and he's to. doing it at the moment. He has to. Um, Attacking-wise, pretty good. And I think in those games you mentioned coming up, I think that could well be... Um, they're the matches you need to target to win. And if you come yeah. out of those with six six or seven points, um, you'd be in a much stronger position. I think it's just come at a, the end of a particularly tough run. Um, but if Ming's... Was it a hamstring injury you had? Yeah, but they, Villa tweeted today uh, just some emojis mm. with Mings in the picture just saying, back soon. Oh, OK, cool. Because so, if he was which... out for sort of three or four weeks, there's a lot of games coming up. And if, yeah. if you're missing him over those matches that are going to be like the relegation six point, as, as they say, well, that would be... But it wouldn't necessarily loss. be the worst thing in the world to take him out of the spotlight for a bit. And kind mm. of, since he's got an England team, he's, his mistakes have been much much greater he, he's, he's made them much more often yeah, whereas yeah. before that he was an absolute rock in defense mm. yeah <laughs> i've never been that convinced by mings i thought no, I, 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 I didn't I, think he should have been anywhere near the england team in the first place because i just thought he was I a championship player elevated well above his station to be honest yeah well i mean as i said to josh i don't think that <laughs> means his fault i think it's an, a sad indictment of english center-backs that yeah. That in the past we've had Ferdinand, Terry, Campbell, Ledley King, those kind of really, really decent centre backs. And yeah. at the minute we've got uh, Michael Keane, John mm. Stones, Tyro Mings, um, and Harry Maguire, who is the best of the lot, but is nowhere near the level of Ferdinand, Terry, Sol Campbell, those kind of powerhouses. Mings deserves a shot on the basis that we just perhaps need to give anyone who has a decent game. At centre back, just a chance. <laughs> just give them a shot, see how they get on. I mean, because why not? Whilst, that. whilst yeah. I understand that point of view, and yes, it was in the championship, but Mason Mount base and Tammy Abraham basically got the England team base from the championship from yeah. their form the season before. Mings was absolutely essential for us going up. If without him, we would not have gone up to the next league. Mm. And he had a brilliant, brilliant start to the season. His his form has just dipped in the last five or so weeks. Right which has coincided with our worst run of games against the, the the better teams, which then kind of shows that maybe he is a lower half Premier League player. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. I think the biggest problem Villa are going to have is probably the amount of points it's going to need to stay up this year because mid-table extends for about 
16 it, it genuinely extends to 18 now, doesn't it? <laughs> it extends so from I think probably 8th to 18th, I reckon. Yeah, you, these teams are just going to keep taking points off each other. They'll beat each other one week, lose to one of the other ones the other week. And I think everyone's just going to gradually accumulate points up and up. So I think it will probably take possibly 40 points this year to stay up. Um, We're on and, 15 at the minute. And then you've got teams like Newcastle who really aren't any good, but they keep winning. And they've got those points in the bank now. You can't take them away from them. So they only need about another five wins all season to stay up. Yeah. And so Which... they haven't got too much work to do. And so to a team like Villa, that seeing that sort of thing happen must be annoying. Like also like Brighton beating Arsenal the other day. Like you could have done without that. Um, the one, the one result I was really glad about was when Newcastle. Although I think, although I know we're better than Newcastle in certain areas, and we proved that when we beat them two 0 the other week. Yeah. Um, the fact that Newcastle came back to beat Southampton 2-1 mm. was was really welcomed. Yeah, that was probably quite helpful for you. I think yeah. Southampton have got another two decent games coming up, though, so they might well... Well, Villa might be one of them. I know we've got Southampton coming Are we up. playing each other? Right. Mm. Yeah, Which is good. why that run of fixtures for us, Norwich, Southampton, Sheffield United, um, Watford, I want to say. Yeah. Which is why the run of fixtures is so big because it will be taking points off teams around us. Yeah, I think the difference Southampton has is they have a goal scorer in Danny Ings. Yeah, and even if they're not playing particularly well, he can get them out of a, a situation. And that's absolutely huge for any team, and that's in that scenario. If yeah. you've got a goal scorer, you've always got a chance. And at the minute, a lot apart from our midfield, we don't have one. The, I mean, the final point on this topic, Josh, I'll come to you for that. How much credit does does Brendan Rodgers deserve for the win? Because he, he said in the aftermath um, that. He looked at Villa. He decided that we like to play attacking football and get at teams, and we like our fullbacks to be high up. So he switched his tactics to put two up top, Vardy and Inacho, because he said in his words that if he got his centre forwards two against two against our centre backs, then he fancied his centre forwards against our centre backs. And it proved to be an, an absolute masterstroke because every time they were against us, the two centre backs against the two centre forwards, Leicester looked like they were going to score. They looked so dangerous the whole game. So how much credit does does Rodgers deserve for the victory? And where do you where do you rate him in terms of his level compared to some of the other uh, the other Premier League managers? I think he deserves a, an awful lot of credit. He I think he demonstrates that flexibility um and kind of tactical nous that maybe I don't know. I didn't perhaps think he used to have as much of. I remember just the the kind of end of his Liverpool tenure. He just seemed to be doing the same thing over and over again and then saying the same thing in post-match interviews. Mm. Um, really, like, monotonous, like, just, oh, it's all about confidence. We'll get it back. And it was really like, oh, you could just see he was on his way out. But he's he's almost like a man transformed um, at Leicester. He just, every game he seems to come with a plan, um, seemed to go back to, like you say, Leicester circa 2016. Worked perfectly well. And it's nice to know that it's not kind of his philosophy or or the highway. It's like, you know, I'm going to take each game on its merits. I know I've still got Vardy. I've got Ian Acho who's got bags of pace as well. I can still play on the counter if I want to and win. I think I think he deserves a lot of credit, actually. Um, and I just, whereas I think I would want to reserve judgment on comparing him with the kind of other managers in the top four until he comes across a real period of adversity because all... Up to now, it's been pretty plain sailing. Had a disappointing result against United. Um, and I think that was kind of a low point. But 
it's been such a good run. I just kind of want to see how he does. We just lose a couple of games. Maybe after, yeah. if we lost against Liverpool and City, because I think where it ran into the rocks with Liverpool was just where he was on such a bad run of fixtures, just seemed to bury his head in the sand, not address the problems. So at the moment, I think it's going great. But I just, and obviously, I think he's, he's fully back him. He's an amazing, he's doing amazingly. But I just want to, I think the truly great managers deal with that adversity um, and find a way through it. They change the tactics. They, they drop certain people. I think that'll be for me. That'll that'll show if he's kind of a great manager or like a world class one. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be really interesting to see, as you say, if if he does come under some pressure, some scrutiny in 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 the latter parts, especially when they're either challenging for the title, which they absolutely are in a title challenge now, or they're they're trying to hold on to a top four place. It'll be interesting to see whether they can go over the line. But Man City losing, Leicester winning, just makes for a great run up to Christmas, but also makes for a great second half of the season, which is really exciting for the Premier League. Our next topic focuses on the big boxing event from the weekend. Anthony Joshua taking on Andy Ruiz Jr. for the second time and winning back his titles. Um, Unanimous points decision, Went the full 12 rounds, but it never looked like either fighter was going to knock each other down. It was a really, really calculated and proper boxing performance by Anthony Joshua. He, the judges scored it 118 to 110, 118 to 110, and 119 to 109. A massive victory for Anthony Joshua. And he never really looked like losing, did he, Chris? No, not really. Um, I think the main thing that that people saw certainly coming into the fight was just uh, how ill-prepared Ruiz was. <laughs> he admitted himself that he just... He gained not... three stone, hadn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, I think he was yeah over 20 pounds or, over the limit. Yeah, he knew he was overweight. The, limit, the weight he should have been, sorry. Well, Joshua um, was three stones lighter, sorry. That's, yeah. that's where I saw three stones. So that, three obviously, if you think lighter. about how they were when they last met, um, and even then, Ruiz doesn't look like your traditional fighter type, I suppose you could say. But um, from that point where he won, one fighter's just gone one way and one's gone completely the other. <laughs> and there was only really one who seemed to be taking it seriously before the fight anyway. Um, well, Anthony and, Joshua and, and, got to his, his lightest weight in a good amount of time. He looked lean and lost, yes, lost a did. bit of the muscle that kind of seemed, it almost held him back and, and, and got him more tired because it's, it's heavy, isn't it, to carry around yeah, all that muscle? Yeah, it's that right balance, isn't it, between mass and power and all yeah. those bits. So, whereas, whereas Ruiz weighed in at 20 stone and three pounds. Yeah. And he said himself after the fight that it stopped him getting around the ring. Like He just... He didn't have the mobility that he that he shows when he beat uh, Joshua early on in the year, and ultimately, I think that that cost him the the bout. Really, I mean, he's he's been on social media loads since winning. Bought new homes, bought new cars, lots of media appearances to try and get his name around there. Did you ever think he was going to reclaim? Or, or re- retain, I should say, the titles, Josh? Or do you think for him, winning it the first time was the making of him and he could literally do what he wants now because he's a, he's a world champion. He'll go down the history books. That can't be taken away from him. Well, I think like, uh, maybe I'm, I shouldn't speak for all of us, but had you heard of Ruiz before the, uh, the fight with Joshua? He wasn't a big name in boxing no. as, as far as no. I understand it. Just, just the fact that he had, that he wasn't the typical 
the typical way a boxer may look. <laughs> and let's the fact be, that he had polite. supremely fast hands. Yeah, absolutely. Other than that, I didn't know much about him, though. So he's kind of made his name on being heavyweight champion of the world for what, a matter of months. Uh, I think he's, like you say, Chris, he's admitted to himself by the way he prepared for the fight that that was enough for him. He's got enormous amounts of wealth out of it. It for me, it kind of made a bit of a mockery of the fight when someone weighs in twenty pounds over and clearly <laughs> isn't prepared to face, you know, the one of the best boxers in the world. Uh, it, yeah, uh, it just reinforced for me why am I watching this fight and I'm not watching um Joshua Fury or Joshua White or Joshua Wilder. Wilder. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do agree. Um, I mean, obviously, the only reason we're watching that is because Joshua, for me, didn't prepare correctly in the first place. Well, I think he took it a bit too lightly. I don't think he... I mean, obviously, it was difficult for Joshua because Ruiz was a late stand-in for for the opponent Joshua was going to face. So then it's difficult to prepare for this new boxer in the same way. But watch any tape, and Ruiz loves to get inside... Okay, he loves to to get close and make it a proper scrap, and then use his fast hands and quick combinations to to cause problems for the other fighter. So, and to be fair, he didn't let him do it at this time. That exactly. Joshua massively improved. He got his and, and range if, right. He didn't let him close. Yeah. And if Joshua had um, prepared correctly last time, because I, I watched the the highlights, I, I watched them at the this boxing fight, and then I watched the highlights of the first one afterwards, just to see the difference. And the first one, Joshua was going all out to try and because he, he thought I can absolutely knock this guy out, and I'm going to try and knock him out as quickly as I can. And he was going all out to try and knock him out, and he was getting in close where Ruiz likes it, and he was not using his jab enough, and he wasn't keeping him away enough, and not using his his massive reach. Um, advantage over Ruiz because he's significantly bigger and has a significantly longer arm reach. So that's what he should have used the first time round, but he didn't. He tried the big punches, the haymakers, for want of a better word. And although he knocked him down in the third round, as soon as Ruiz got close and got a punch on Joshua's face, Joshua looked stunned and all over the place, and and then was was unbalanced when coming back with the punches. And that's how Ruiz won in the end. Whereas this time, as you said, Josh. He used his reach better. He jabbed so much more. He he attacked at the right times. He escaped at the right times and, and used movement around the, the ring to, to get away from Ruiz and kept him at arm's distance and used that reach and never really let Ruiz get in close. And any time Ruiz did get in close, Joshua backed away and went somewhere else. And he never got backed into the ropes, never got backed into the corner, which was so unlike his first fight where he got backed into the corner so many times to allow Ruiz to, to get a few combinations from him and really trouble him. Now, Joshua looked so different to me this time. As I said, leaner, looked more confident, looked better about his his... Um, his tactics. Do you think his preparation, Chris, was was a lot? Was seemed like it must have been a lot better, right? For, for this, yeah, I think it must have been. Although I also think, with the last fight being so relatively recently, that he kind of there was probably an element in that first fight that he was dealing with the unknown to an extent. Whereas now, with the the evidence of what he he lost to a few months ago, he knows what Ruiz's game is all about and yeah come up with a strategy of of combating that and using like you described just there the physical advantages he has and play a much more tactically disciplined uh 
boxing match. Um, but he could only have been boosted by by seeing the state that we turned up in, <laughs> give him an extra confidence boost there. Massively, um, yeah. And I think as well, like Josh mentioned earlier, that Ruiz maybe, or one of you suggested that he was happy probably just being with the fight he won. Maybe he was for a bit, but I think I think he will regret this fight. And I think oh, in, the, a doubt, in a post-match yeah. interview, you can kind of see maybe all of that partying and all kind of came home to him afterwards and thought, oh, maybe I should have actually put some into this. Because he could have created a, cemented his legacy in boxing if he'd beaten Joshua for a second time. And if he had beaten Joshua for a second time, that would probably have ended Joshua's top-level career because you wouldn't have had the right to, to go after Fury or Wilder having been beaten twice by Ruiz after that. So it's an opportunity missed, really, I think. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that Ruiz, if he wanted to and he prepared correctly, Ruiz could have absolutely got at Joshua. He yeah, could have, it would have been a did last time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and I think because after after the fight, he was touting about, oh, if we do this again for a third time, I, I'll definitely prepare better. But surely he's blown his chance now for a yeah, third. Exactly. Why, why I think would Joshua he's... now go back to, to fighting against no, him when he's he proved that for the second time he couldn't be bothered to train properly? No. He couldn't be bothered to take it seriously. He's let Joshua off the hook, really, because yeah. I remember after we did the podcast after the first fight, we were there were genuine questions about where does Joshua go from here and what mm. does this mean for his fighting legacy? And we were talking about uh, boxers who have a blemish on their perfect records and things like that. Well, with a two loss for Joshua, that would have been possibly it. But yeah. uh, he's given him, he's left him on the hook. And now now Joshua will be full of confidence and ready to, to take on the next challenger and uh, continue yeah. get his career back on track, I think. Yeah, and I, as you say, it's a really good point. If he had two losses on his record, it would, I don't think it would have been the end, but he would have had to work hard like he'd Chisora. He'd have to do a lot more White. to get back. He'd have to, to, he'd have to go right to. back down to try and get another shot at the title again. Whereas now he's got the titles back, that gives him... Uh, leverage on the likes of Fury and Wilder who probably also want those titles as well and it actually gives him something to work for because if, he, if he'd have lost that and then tried to say right I want Fury next I want Wilder next they'd be like well no why what's the point in us fighting you yeah. you've lost we'll twice to Ruiz Jr yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and they would have actually then done that fight to try and take them off Louise, yeah. uh, Ruiz sorry yeah. um, Joshua is, is Josh Joshua has been criticised uh a little bit for for a slightly in what some people have turned a more boring boxing style. Do you think that's harsh? Do you think because he, he clearly looked to me like he had a plan, a tactic? He was going to go out, keep him at arm's distance, and then try and hurt him when he could. And obviously, the cut above his eye, um, the the cut above Ruiz's eye, first of all, from a great punch by Joshua. Obviously, Joshua got cut above the eye as well um, in a different incident. But do you think that it's unfair to call it? boring because boxing isn't just about punching surely boxing's about movement it's about tactics it's about jabs and hooks it's about different types of punches at different times during the the fight not like a wilder windmill style and and try and mm. overpower the other guys do you think that it's unfair to to criticize joshua for for being boring in this fight when for me should he should be praised for actually boxing yeah def i think it's definitely unfair i think he um he showed more versatility than he maybe ever has. Uh, his, I watched the the kind of highlights of the previous fight too, and he just he looked like he was just throwing haymakers all the time. He looked yeah. 
quite unbalanced because he was throwing that many off balance. And well, that's the what's well, the one thing that I wrote down when I was I was the only thing I've ever wrote down when I'm doing preparation. <laughs> he looked yeah. unbalanced. Constantly mm. looked unbalanced when he was trying to trying to he was basically trying to finish Ruiz, wasn't he? Knock him out. Mm, whereas whereas this time he looked more content to go the full twelve rounds and looked really like did. his physical stature could could see him go the full twelve rounds. He looked like he was floating like a butterfly and I don't know, maybe he didn't sting like a bee, but he, he was definitely floating. Stung he was, like uh, a nettle. He looked really <laughs> maybe a nettle, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, he, he was kind of dancing around the, the ring. Uh and I like it just played into played into his hands really because he just never let Ruiz close enough. I don't think you can say like a particular boxing style is boring. I think just because he hasn't he's deviated from his kind of going for the KO tactic that you perhaps normally would, I think it's I think it shows that he's a better boxer that he can that he can do both. And I think you yeah, boxers like Muhammad Ali are kind of recognised as being one of the best to watch because they, they had that agility and that ability to kind of dodge. I'm not comparing kind of their abilities in that regard, but you know, those for lots of people, those are the the kind of better boxers to watch, to be honest. Yeah. Do you guys think that the fact that the ring was four foot bigger played into that for this fight? Well, I mean, yeah, in the, in and the is first that, bout, and is that fair as a second question? Possibly not. Mm. In the first bout, Joshua got pinned against the the ropes in the corners, mm. but then there is space to move into, and yeah. Joshua's footwork, his his movement wasn't as good as it should have been. Whereas in this one, as I said, he looks he looked leaner. He looked like mm-hmm. he'd really worked on on stamina and to get through a 12 rounds. It didn't look at any, like, obviously, if it had knocked him out, then great. But it didn't look like his plan was to knock him out this time. It looked like his plan was to win and win convincingly and go the full 12 rounds. If it had caught him with one, great. But it didn't look like that was his plan. Whereas in the first bout, it looked like he was going all out to try and knock him out. And that was affecting his his other judgments of when to go close and when to pull away and when to move. But having said that, yeah, if there is more space to to move around into, it's harder for someone like Ruiz to then pin Joshua into the ropes and and get close to him and, and use his close you know, game. Which I, is I do advantage. feel that there should be a, a standardised boxing ring size. Though. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine like um, you know, I don't know tennis tennis well, courts. Was... Some games you're allowed to use the tram lines if, yeah. in singles. But then, but then in football like, matches, pit teams yeah, are allowed like... to select the size of pitch. Yeah, yeah. Stoke always brought in the uh, sidelines so that Deluxe yeah. throw-ins could reach the box. <laughs> yes. Things like that. Like there is an element of it. I was just trying to think what's the fairest, and there is precedent for the, both in both the home advantage, I suppose. So yeah. th- this isn't. Well, where this was should be like a neutral. Well, thing. This was outside. The fight was Madison Madison Square Garden. So maybe there was. And Ruiz is from where? Sorry again. Is he? What's his uh, nationality? Ruiz, Mex- Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, so it's not technically home ground then, was it? So I was trying to think if it, who has the right to uh, dictate what it is. I suppose it comes down to promoter and the organizer. Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. Like the flip that. side. Yeah. Should the fact that Joshua had a f- a much bigger ring turned up in much better shape himself against an opponent who was in far worse shape? And still needed to go through twelve rounds to beat him. <laughs> does that, in a flip side way, does that actually reflect? Not I mean, that we great... we have spoken before <laughs> about the fact that I think all of us think that Fury is a better boxer, is a better fighter yeah. than Joshua is, more entertaining, cleverer, and probably just a better all round boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I said, though, I don't think that was his game plan. I don't think his game his game plan was because he knew if he let Ruiz in close at any point, he was in danger of Ruiz using his power. And yes, he had more weight on him, but that could then equate to more power in theory. Um, I think his game plan was to never let uh, Ruiz in close. To always keep, you always use his reach and and his movement, which is considerably better than Ruiz's, to outbox him and outclass him. And however, I I would say that Fury watching that has no fears about facing Joshua. Particularly, I don't think. I don't think like yeah. But then Fury is to all of them. I think Fury has no fears about facing anyone whatsoever. I think Fury (laughs) is so confident in his ability to beat any of these people um, Mm. that he would face literally anyone. I just want to see it. I want to see it so much. Fury, AJ, would be... It's just the boxing match everyone wants to see. But is it going to be one of those... The, the talk about it is going to be better than the actual fight. So that they're going Just to talk that, about Dan. constantly Just wanting to meet each other and, oh, well, let's get it done and let's get it sorted. Oh, our teams can't get it get it organised between them. That actually they don't want to get it organised because the, the, the fanfare and, and, the, and the, um, the, the media payoff and the, uh, the uh, what, what do I call it, the kind of furore around it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It is... Is keeping them all going in the in the heavyweight division anyway. It's kind of oh, geez, let's fight just this mandatory KSI challenge. and Logan Paul together. Yeah, yeah. Don't get Chris yeah. started again. But it, let's <laughs> fight these mandatory challenges and let's fight these lower names and let's talk about fighting these bigger names to keep the fans interested. But let's not actually ever fight them because then it would stop that talk and then we'd know who was the best. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Which isn't the way it should be, but for me, that that, that, that must be the way it is. Um, Chris, last last one for you. Uh, Josh was now only the fifth person to reclaim his his world title um, after Muhammad Ali, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, and Floyd Patterson in 1959 uh, to reclaim it in a rematch after losing it uh, to the same person. Where does he rank on that list? Because <laughs> That's that an impressive stellar cast, list. isn't it? Yeah, because he's now um, joined them. He's in the same list, yeah. but maybe the people they fought were I, arguably better and of a higher caliber than than Andy Ruiz Jr. That would be. My, that was going to be my next question. I was going to ask who they fought to to reclaim those. Um, oh. That's a tough question to answer. Um, Muhammad Ali, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, and Floyd Patterson. I mean, I don't know enough about Floyd Patterson, no. so let's take him out. I don't know. I think he might be equatable to someone like Lennox Lewis, perhaps. Um, I feel they're sort of similar stature stature in boxing at the moment, I think. It's um, hard, isn't it? It's like comparing... But it's always tough comparing generations, isn't it? Yeah, that's um, exactly what I was going to say. It's like comparing Roger Federer now to Pete Sampras then and kind of deciding who's better even though the people the caliber of players they've had to face is completely different yeah the style of boxing and the style of whatever sport it is is completely different mm. well i would say though if he'd, if he'd lost it to someone like wilder or fury and then claimed it back off them i think we'd all be a lot more yeah definitely confident putting him on that list and saying well this guy showed the the guts to come back from from losing to such a good fighter so yeah, as we've hinted at throughout the, the chat, it's going to come down to if and when 
these big three kind of get together and fight each other, really. And the, and the conversation isn't going to stop until that happens. It's nah, almost like the, nah. the Messi-Ronaldo situation. It is a bit like that, yeah. Unless, yeah. I mean, they've played in the same league and, and broken all the records and people still can't decide. <laughs> but the, the issue you've got is that in football, you've got team against team. The only way of deciding who is better in a boxing match is putting those two against each other. And until that happens... I don't think we're ever going to notice. But well done to Anthony Joshua. Everybody keep your fingers crossed for Joshua versus Fury or Wilder because that's the fight that everybody wants to see. So the final topic of our chat this week before the sports quiz, the first one in four weeks that I'm really excited to do is all about the Andy Murray documentary. Um, before we say anything about it, I just have to say, if you've not watched it yet, you have to watch it. Andy Murray resurfacing is absolutely brilliant. And obviously there's been so much media coverage. So, so lots of people know all about it already, but just watching it from the inside and seeing what a guy Andy Murray is, was just incredible. Josh, you're a massive tennis fan, a massive Andy Murray fan. The first thing you said to me was, I thought it was impossible to love Andy Murray even more than I do. And yet it's now possible. What did you make of the documentary, Josh? Oh, it was just emotional roller coaster from start to finish. It really was, wasn't it? Honestly, I, I just, I cannot believe how many ups and downs he had in that year. It just seemed to be, he kind of, he had one piece of good news and his hip was feeling a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And then it went back down. He got more pain again. He wasn't able to play or he went back on the practice court and he just wasn't fit enough. You could, and just, you could just it, tell, couldn't he, that he wasn't, he was yeah. practicing for, for what he, what he knew he wasn't where mm-hmm. he wanted to be. And it just gave you an impression of the amount of hours he put into rehab was just absolutely staggering, really boring stuff. A lot of it was on his own. His team weren't even with him. And it was all, he, he just, like you say, he got the impression it was all just for nothing. He, he wasn't there. Um, and then the the bit that was kind of the most like emotional part for me was when he, he kind of, he kind of said, look, I know that people watching might not think that tennis is like that important. It's just tennis. It's just a game. But for me, it's important because it really helped me when I was a child, helped me to kind of, process some of the things I went through um what with the kind of Dunblane massacre that he was kind of present at um his and brother was, left home yeah it was so clear though wasn't it that the, the Dunblane um the, the horrific event in Dunblane still played a massive part in his mind mm, absolutely and the way he processed it was I'm on tennis I'm on the yeah. tennis court I'm I'm happy um I can get my those emotions that I've been feeling for since I was a child out on the court. And it he's been criticized for so many years for kind of having for being too emotional on the court and for being angry at himself. And it just gave a real insight um into perhaps some of why that is. Um and it was amazing to hear like an athlete say that. I've never um never heard anything an athlete be as candid uh, as to as to kind of, you know, reveal anything that close to his heart. So I thought that was yeah pretty brave and he's a he's a brave guy to go through all that pain but that was the bravest part for me yeah and, and i love uh, yeah. the fact that there were little things there wasn't just um piece to cameras there was little voice notes that he left because he was too emotional to say it in front of a camera that he then wanted putting in to explain the reasons why he needed tennis but the reasons why he could no longer play to the standard which was amazing to see i think the thing that got it most for me and i'll come to you for this chris but the thing that got it most for me was 
he got some news um, to say that the surgery he wanted couldn't happen for a longer period of time. And he came away from that phone call. He, he was absolutely gutted. You could see it on his face when he was answering the call. You could see it, uh, hear it in his voice when he was talking about it afterwards. He was saying, I'm ready for this surgery now, but I've got to wait another 10 days. Now, to me, it doesn't seem like a massive deal. But for where he wanted to be at that point, it was huge because he was ready for it now. And the longer it went on, the more he would talk himself out of it and the more he would kind of regret or, or, or start to regret making the decision to, to, to have this major um, hip surgery. As soon as that phone call was put down, he didn't think about anything else. He went straight back to the mountain climber equipment and was just absolutely pounding it, doing his rehab rehab uh, routine and just doing so much exercise. So the thing that got it for me was I knew, I absolutely knew that, that, that sports stars had to put in so much work to be where they wanted to be, had to practice. But I just didn't quite understand the amount of effort that had to go in to consistently train and to to work so hard on all aspects of a game, fitness, strength and conditioning, playing tennis, um, different tactics all day for them to be able to then go out um, in games, in matches to, to perform. I mean, how much respect do you have for, for professional athletes that really get to the top of the game? Like someone like Andy Murray has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Huge respect. Um, We only get a, playing amateur like playing to amateur sport obviously at low levels um yeah it's that's in the comparison we can possibly have and that is uh, so low in comparison yeah, but, we I mean, yeah, we, we, we train once a week yeah if, if, at <laughs> yeah. most or just yeah. turn up on a friday night to play football uh, yeah 20 yeah. minutes before and then wonder what if you have a bad game. It's like, well, you yeah. hardly gave yourself a chance yeah. because, yeah. <laughs> and then you see something like Andy Murray's preparation and like, yeah, no um, stone is really left unturned in the quest for performance, is it? And that goes through like sports psychologists, um, yeah. flexibility as well and things like that. And, well, uh, I think, I think especially for individual sport, because if you play a team sport, you've got others you can rely on. But if you're not good enough in an individual sport, you've only got yourself to blame. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's he, true. It takes a different mentality, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to put yourself through that, and like a lot of it was on his own, wasn't it? Like it wasn't even with particularly with people, and and you hear that with players in other sports when they're coming back from injury. Mm. Yeah, mm. quite quite lonely. Like the hardest part, part is that yeah, the loneliness of of just being you in your mind and trying to mm. stay focused and motivated to get back at that. Um, but then whenever whenever you hear a player talk, like for football, for example, whenever you hear a player talk about the best players, they always say, I was just amazed at how much extra training he did after training. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's yeah. what separates the absolute top dogs of sport with the with the OK professional players. Mm. They just work that extra bit harder. They train that extra bit longer. They do that extra bit more of the boring stuff that nobody likes doing, but they know that that's going to elevate them to the next level. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. They often the players, okay, at the very, very top, natural ability comes a lot into it. But you often hear about in various sports about how certain people maybe weren't even the best at younger age levels. No. Uh, they know people who are better than they were um, at a certain age level, but they just haven't had the same application or desire to uh, to get to the top and make those sacrifices that you see mm-hmm. 
displayed so well in this documentary. So yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a quote, it really, there's yeah, a... It was a fantastic insight into the life of a, a top level sportsman. Yeah, and there's a, there's a quote, Chris, on um, where we play corfball uh, on the wall from Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and it talks about the fact that he could not stand training; he hated it. <laughs> But he knew that the extra work he put in there was going to pay off in the ring. And when he then won titles, he loved that part. And therefore, as a result, loved the fact that he did the training that he hated. Yeah. Yeah, I always remember reading that because that's like in the changing rooms, isn't it? At the sports yeah. centre. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And it just, yeah, it's, it, it points, points it out beautifully. Really. It's a really good way of thinking about it, actually. And probably led to him becoming the uh, great sportsman that he was. Yeah. Um, was it? I was... I was was this operation? Well, we didn't have to. There was kind of a question mark about it, wasn't there? About yeah. It was potentially so going to not work or ruin his yeah. quality of life yeah. further down the line. Wasn't well, it? we he had like a couple of operations that yeah. were like that weren't like replacing the reset before the resurfacing, which was just trying to get the inflammation out and try and get him kind of to see if the hip would heal itself. I think, and it yeah. just he had they got better for a while and then it got worse again but yeah this one um earlier in the year yeah he he basically initially had it so that um to have a better quality of life so that he wouldn't have pain in his hip anymore you've heard the stories about he couldn't put on his socks without pain he couldn't he could barely walk so you know when he got out of surgery no pain at all and there was no intention of coming back sort of january time and then he just i think the words in the documentary was just uh, Kim Murray said he changed his mind and here we are uh, what 10 months later <laughs> playing with a metal hip it's yeah. just um, unbelievable you, you saw in the documentary no one... how much it meant to him to come back because whenever he was talking to the surgeon it was mm-hmm. always one of the first questions he was asking was and what are the chances if I play tennis of this being more difficult further down the line yeah. and what happens if I do this and what happens if I do that can I play tennis if this out and it was constantly on his mind about right I know I did this to have a better quality of life with my children but it would be really mm. nice if I could then go back to playing Even tennis better. Yeah. by the way his surgeon was such a dude she was great <laughs> she was she great was just Although, like, yeah it showed a bit no too nonsense. much of it for my liking <laughs> I didn't like that part didn't like to see no. Hip that, just be pulled out of, of position uh, and and leg just flailing. The hammering around. of a ball soft into Andy Murray's leg. Oh was not god, honestly, part. that was horrendous. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot to show. Yeah, but then did, you just I saw the pain. Think about, um, you just saw the pain. Know, Sorry, Josh, you gone. I know. I was just going to say, I just didn't want to think about that ball socket moving while he plays tennis now, and no, I feel like horrendous. next time I watch him, <laughs> yeah. in my mind, be like oh, ball socket, aren't you? Yeah. Really look at him in the same way again. <laughs> but I mean, it, it just it was heartbreaking to see the amount of pain he was going through because after every game, after every training session, it'd show him come back home and he'd just be limping the whole way around. Countless injections into his hip, countless surgeries to shave parts off um, the hip bone to try and get the inflammation out. And I hope, fingers crossed, that this surgery has done the job to to stop all that and 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 so far for the past we had the surgery in january was it start of the year mm-hmm. and so far for the past 11 months he's been pain-free which is a good sign for the future but the surgeon did warn that in about five to seven years down the line that there could be there's a there's a 20 percent chance 25 percent chance of of problems um reoccurring 
but fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Um, I think we'll end it, Josh. For me, the best part about this documentary was saying to the people that for so long could criticise Andy Murray's personality, saying that he was so boring, that um, he was so dull with his monotonous voice, the fact that he made such a, a big thing about his voice and, and he laid into his own voice himself and being boring. Um, but the fact that he had such a good personality, the fact that he loved to joke around with his trainers, the fact that he loved his trainers and his team and his coaches like they were his family because he spent so much time with them. I think that was my favourite part of the documentary, seeing the fact that actually, hopefully now people can stop complaining about Andy Murray's personality because he's so clearly a really funny guy, an emotional guy, a a guy that cares so deeply about his team, his family, his fans, his mum. It was just lovely to see his personality shine throughout that documentary. Definitely. It, and there was all that nonsense, wasn't there, when he got BBC Sports Personality of the Year and everyone said, oh, he's got no personality, he shouldn't even be nominated. And it was like, OK, so that's not what it means entirely. It's not about your actual personality. But anyway, yeah, yeah. he was just like, <laughs> it just showed how brave he was. You know, it showed that, you know, he was a really funny guy. He's got a team that he dearly loves and he like joked around with them, but really clearly showed that he absolutely loved them as his family but also he's the most interesting guy on the tour he's he's kind of he's like made uh, a documentary bearing his soul um saying things to the world that I, I don't think i'd ever be comfortable saying and that is the bravest thing i've ever seen a sports person do um yeah. to, to kind of put all that out there um, yeah, I don't think anyone could accuse him of being boring ever again. You could only Absolutely accuse him not. of being an absolute legend. Yeah, legend. The good thing, Chris, about the documentary also was that the the amount of te- current tennis players, the amount of high level professional tennis players that were waxing lyrical about Andy Murray during the whole thing was just lovely to see. How, how important do you think? Because obviously he's won uh, his, his first singles title. It showed at the very end of the documentary. Uh, it ended when he won the Queen's. Uh, doubles tournament with Feliciano Lopez. Um, how important to tennis do you think it is for Andy Murray to to be back in the fold, back in the mix, back in the conversations of later parts of tournaments? Um, but also, give me some hope. Where do you where do you think Andy Murray could could end up in 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 by the end of twenty twenty? <laughs> I've just seen Josh making a prayer symbol. Uh, so number one, obviously. So. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, I think the first part of your question, uh, yeah, like we've spoken before about the um, the great players in the men's game at the moment, and uh, Murray's absolutely one of them. So to see him back um, completes that that quartet of of greats, really. So it's great, to, yeah, fantastic to see him not just ending his career in a sort of going out with a whimper, like due to injury, which would be a sad end to a. Oh, it'd be horrendous. career that would have been but, so but there was a time during the documentary when it looked like that was going to happen yeah definitely mm-hmm. and like it was being written about and Murray himself kind of hinted at it at more than one point where he said well this might be the end of it which was not great to hear and like everyone I think everyone always wanted to hope that he could make it back but maybe we're secretly thinking yeah this making preparation to think that yeah maybe we won't see him on the tennis court again so the fact we've seen him at all back is fantastic and yeah without when you said there that he hasn't had uh any much pain recently 
that and you and from seeing in the documentary that he's constantly asking those questions of well what happens if this what he's going to slowly i think push himself to keep get back to doing the things which he was doing before and see how hard he can can push this really and with his quality and the dedication we've seen there's no reason he can't get back up into the certainly into the uh the top 10 if he's playing without pain i mean how how old's movie now is he 32 33 i think yeah i think so same age as Djokovic. Djokovic. so he's probably got if the injuries cleared up to any sort of level then a couple a couple of years potentially so we might see a bit of a an indian summer to his uh, career oh, a bit of a swan song i'd love that be great. i would love i think that so much yeah i think realistically though yeah getting right up there and consistently winning majors again i don't think that'll happen unfortunately it would be but... it would be difficult from his position yeah. but as you said if he's playing pain free his mental state is not going to hold him back his his determined determination and doggedness is not going to hold him back it's just whether the rest of his body can can yeah. kind of get back to that level again and and it's the rest of the tour as well i think because like over the last a few weeks ago we saw the atp masters didn't we where yeah, it felt like a bit of a um, not a changing of the guard, but these younger players weren't really uh, they weren't phased, scared. Were they? they weren't, yeah, they weren't apprehensive about playing Djokovic, Nadal, etc. So um, when that aura sort of starts mm-hmm. to go, like you said earlier about Manchester City, teams are now wanting to have a go at them. If people suddenly f- start seeing that Djokovic, etc., are fallible, then that that's another load of five or six players that Murray's going to have to get past to get up because they're going to have that belief now. So that might actually have made it a bit more difficult for him. Yeah, and, and there's, I just think the exciting part is there's no telling that where he could go. There's no guarantee that he'll make it anywhere near back to the top, but there's nothing to suggest that he won't either. And that's what's really exciting, hopefully, about 2020. He's had a good end to 2019, won uh, his first tournament in, in, a, in a long time, and beat some good players along the way. So fingers crossed, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that Andy Murray gets back to the Andy Murray that we know and love. But if you haven't seen it yet, you must watch the documentary. It's a brilliant watch and I absolutely recommend it. Right, our final feature, as always, is the sports quiz. And this week, it's my turn to deliver it, but it's with a difference. This week, it's going to be categories-based. And therefore, I'll ask, I'll give Chris and Josh a category. They will take it in turns to name items in that category. And it's basically last man standing. Whoever is still in the game by the end wins the point and then we go on to the next category if both players if both chris and josh are in uh, still in and still have given correct answers throughout and we get to the end of that category they both get a point okay now okay. how it's going to work i'm going to give you both the category i'll then give you 20 seconds to write down as many answers you can think of within that category whilst i talk and, and make sure it's not dead air and then <laughs> I'll ask you one at a time to go. It will be different people going first. So Chris, you'll go first the first time. Josh, will go first the second yeah, okay. time and so on. Some of them are difficult. Some of them are easy. But by the time you've got to say 10 answers between you, it obviously then starts to get hard when you're having to think. If there's any hesitation for a long period, you're out. And the other point goes to the other person. If there are any repeated answers you're out the voice the 
uh, point goes to the other person. Are yeah, you ready? Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a very different quiz, but I thought, you know what? Change it up a bit. Let's see, uh, see you pitted against each other. And I'm happy if you guys do the same in future weeks as well. Um, I don't <laughs> want it to seem unfair that I could take a, a healthier lead if, if you share the points. <sighs> okay, sure. <laughs> um, if neither of you can think of any answers, then neither of you get a point. But we probably shouldn't uh, be on a sports quiz. Yeah, it were exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the uh, categories aren't that difficult, although okay. some of them are. No, they're fine. They're fine. You'll be fine. Um, so, are you ready for category one? Yeah. You'll get 20 seconds to write down as many answers as you can, and then I will ask you for your first one. I may give you some hints along the way to make it a bit easier. Okay. So category number one are you've got to name the teams who competed in the 2015-16 Premier League season. So I'll give you that again before I start the timer. The teams who competed, the 20 of them, in the 2015-16 Premier League season. Okay. So write down as many as you can think of from now, and I'll start talking over the top of it. To give you both a hint, it was the season when a certain unexpected team romped home to the Premier League title. Um, Obviously, that's a clue that both of you have got anyway, but I imagine they would have been in your list regardless. Um, I'm not going to give you the other clue because actually that will that'll tell you what I don't want you to know obvious teams in there that you can go for if you've got any obscure ones I'd write those down because then the other person might not have them and that's your 20 seconds so no more writing down pencil down remember if you repeat a team then that's your point gone if you uh, run out of teams or hesitate, then the point will go to the other player. Chris, we're going to start with you for the first one. Let me just get the answers up so I can check you've got these right. If I have to spend some time cycling through, just just bear with me. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Chris, you may start. Uh, Leicester. Leicester City is correct. Josh. Chelsea. Chelsea is correct. Finished 10th that year. 10th. <laughs> so you are. Leicester finished first. Uh, Chris. Arsenal. Arsenal finished second that year in a in a two horse race with a team that finished third. Uh Josh. <laughs> Liverpool. Liverpool finished eighth that season. Chris? Tottenham. Hotspur. Tottenham finished third. Looked destined to finish second or maybe even get to the top, but did not. Both doing well so far. Josh. <laughs> Man City. Man City finished fourth that season. Last Champions League spot. Um, a massive Josh. 25 points behind Leicester. Those are the days. Oh, no, sorry. My maths is bad. 15 points, but still a lot. Uh, Chris? Uh, Aston Villa. Aston Villa just finished last that year. Season they got relegated. (laughs) 17 points. What a haul. Um, Josh? Man United. Man United is correct. Finished fifth that year. Chris? Everton. Everton, 11th. Yep. Josh? Southampton. Southampton finished sixth that year. Sixth? It must That's have been the year when they had an insane team. Um, with uh, Pele up front. Yeah, oh, didn't they have yeah. Mane, Schneiderlin maybe? Um, yeah. Wanyama. Uh, some 
Van Dyke, maybe some crazy players. Possibly, uh, Chris, yeah. uh, Swansea, Swansea, just looking down the list, finished 12th. Chris, yes, you are safe. Josh, Burnley, Burnley. Let me have a look down this list. Can I see Burnley? I can not see Burnley, Josh. I'm afraid you're out of that round. Chris, you get the point. You could have had Leicester, Arsenal, Tottenham, Man City, Man U, Southampton, West Ham, Liverpool, Stoke City, Chelsea, Everton, Swansea, Watford, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Bournemouth, Sunderland, Newcastle, and Norwich City. I think that was the... And Aston Villa, which you said. I think that was the year that... Either Paolo Di Canio or Gus Poyet and Connor Wickham kept Sunderland yeah. up by the skin of their teeth and sent Newcastle down. And it must have been the year Burnley had been in the league the year before. Yeah. Got relegated, which was yeah. this year they were playing in the championship and then came back up the next year and have been there ever since. So Josh was sure. a bit unlucky. He's picked the one Very year. Very unlucky. Oh. <sighs> that Burnley were not I thought there. I couldn't remember Burnley going down, but now I do, obviously. Now I've they lost. went down the year they had George Boyd in the team, I think. I seem to remember. Even though he was quite good, but <laughs> what uh, guy. What the rest a of the guy. team wasn't, unfortunately. Right, that's 1-0 to Chris. <sighs> Close. Good effort. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, good first round. This one may not go on as long. Um, (laughs) so your next category get ready ready to write down your answers the tennis players who got to the third round of the Wimbledon men's singles championships in 2017 the (laughs) last year just thought Andy Murray's year that he went out to Sam Querrey in the quarter final I've given you two there Um, (laughs) so I thought it was only fitting that we went with 2017 but I'll go through that again the tennis players who got to the third round third round of the Wimbledon Men's Singles Championships in 2017. You've got 20 seconds to write down as many as you can. Remember, third round. I was going to ask first round, but that was 128 people that I would have had to cycle through. (laughs) And I just, I just couldn't. So we're on to third round. Not as many to cycle through. Um, Some well-known names, some less well-known names. Doesn't give you a clue, but... It may take me longer to cycle down because there are eight sections of players. To <laughs> so if I take a while to cycle through them and find yeah. them, then just bear with me. Okay. And 20 seconds is up. Josh, your turn first. Give Roger me Federer. Roger Federer. I mean, yes, he was there. He was. Third seed that year. Chris. Um, Andy Murray. Andy Murray. Um, that was my Andy Murray impression, by the way. You've heard that before, and you, you both thought it was ace. Yes, fur, top seed that year. Josh. Could it go Milos Raonic? Milos Raonic. Milos Raonic. I'm looking down, and yes, sixth seed, winning straight sets in the third round of Wimbledon of that year. Chris. Uh, I'll go for the other one you mentioned, Sam Query. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know he was there. Uh, yes. <laughs> one, one, though, in five sets. Nail-biter. 2014. Okay. Josh. Go Marin Cilic. Marin Cilic. Let me look down the list. Yes, seventh seed, one in straight sets in the third round. Chris. 
Um, Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic. Yes, second seed. One in straight sets. Josh. Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal. Yes, one in straight sets again to make it through to the fourth. Chris. Um... Don't think he made it much further that year, though. Actually, yeah, he's, he tend, he's, he a, he's a run of going out early at the time, wasn't he? I think he went out in the fourth round. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm going to go Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson, yes, Chris, straight sets winner. Josh, I'm going to go with oh. Has it Songa, Joe Wilfred Songa. Joe Wilfred Songa, yes. Played Sam Query in the third round and uh, lost. Sam Query then beat uh, Kevin Anderson in the, uh, oh. in the fourth round to face Andy Murray in the quarterfinals. Chris? Uh, I'm going to go for John Isner. John Isner. Let me look down the list. John Isner. I'm just going to have a double check. John Isner. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it to myself to, to kind of remind me of who I'm looking for <laughs> more than anything else. Um, I cannot see, Chris, John Isner on the list. Fair enough. I cannot see him on my list. Josh, remind me of his nationality. He's American. He, yeah, he's USA, He's American. Yeah. Let me have a look at them. Looking around. I want to see if he's not on there. Who did he lose to? Because that'll be interesting to see. I've had I was sort of thinking along big servers because yeah. the grass kind of helps. Yeah, good uh, call. It's not a bad call at all. Well, it was a bit of a uh, John Isner lost to um, the Israeli Sailor. Judy Sailor. Yeah. Blimey, that's okay. a good result. In the <laughs> second round. That's yeah, cool. 23 seed. Uh, Josh, you take the point for that well done, one. Josh. That was uh, intense. That, that, was, was, good... that was good. Good good knowledge from both of you. You could have had Chris Kaini Shakuri. Yeah, yeah. You could have had um, uh, Bedin, the oh, British player. Did any of the French lads get through? Monfils uh, or Gasquet? Fonini got through. Um, obviously not French, Italian, but still. Yeah, Zverev, no. <laughs> Zverev got through. Okay. Uh, team got through. Ferrer, Thomas Burditch. Gael Monfils, yeah, he was in there. Oh, damn. Um, but then lost, lost in the third round to fellow Frenchman Manorino. But yeah, uh, right. One all, one all. And then I'm looking at the time. This quiz is going to take longer than usual, but actually, <laughs> thoroughly enjoying it. So, so worth it. Third category: the players who started the 2012 Champions League final between Chelsea and Bayern Munich. Ooh. So I'll give that again: the players who started the 2012 Champions League final between Chelsea. And Bayern Munich. I only want the starters here. I don't want anybody that came on as a sub. If they came on as a sub, you will not get the point. But I'll give you some quiet respect for knowing who was in the squad. So, for example, if you give me Ross Turnbull as your answer, then I will, I will <laughs> that not was, expect that. That's my first pick. <laughs> he also didn't come on as a sub, but he was on the sub. Um, I wonder if he got a medal. I don't know how many games he would have played. But yeah, I can see. You're both writing down your answers. Mm. Bayern Munich and Chelsea from the 2012 Champions League final. Um, this is one where I've tried to trip you up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So just um, be careful with some of your answers. 
Um, if you get the wild card answer, that's the one player who you'd never expect to be in a Champions League final, then I'll give you a high five the next time I see you. <laughs> 20 seconds are up. Chris, I'm going to come to you first. Any of the starters from either Bayern Munich or Chelsea, so 22 players to choose from. First one, please. Uh, Ryan Bertrand. Oh, Chris gets the wild card answer instantly. Ryan Bertrand is <laughs> correct. Starting left midfield for no apparent reason, but they won. So <laughs> fantastic. Roberto Di Matteo, what a hero. Uh, Josh. John Terry. Josh. You're you out. Play. What? That's when he play. came on in full kit after. Yeah. And he, he, he got sent off. He got sent off in the semi final against Barcelona, which meant that he missed the final. That was the one. That was the one I was referring oh, to when there were some strange God. answers. Just as a matter of interest, Josh, who else do you have on your list? Ramre, Ramirez, Lampard, Robin, Ribery, all the ones that actually did play, I presume. Uh, Lampard, Robin, Ribery did play. I feel like Ramirez was also. Suspended. I'm definitely just thinking of the semi-final. What am I doing? Well, I think of the I, semi-final. Because yeah. Messi was in the final, Josh. He didn't play for Chelsea or Bayern Munich. No, he kidding. was he my think. next one. <laughs> uh, you could have had, I'll give you a rundown. Manuel Neuer, Philip Lahm, Jerome Boateng, Timoshuk, Contento, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Tony Cruz, Arjun Robin, Thomas Muller, Frank Ribery, Mario Gomez, Petr Cech, Bosingwa, Louise, uh, David Louise, Gary Cahill, Ashley Cole, Solomon Kalou, John Obi Mikel, Frank Lampard, Ryan Bertrand, Juan Mata, or Didier Drogba. No. You went for John Terry first. I understand why, but that's exactly no, I, 2012 I'm Champions of League final. I just, I just don't deserve to, to be see. on this podcast. Well, I want, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted someone to say, I really wanted someone to say John Terry. So, hey, over quickly, but that doesn't mean it's a bad round. It just means that not the best performance. It's okay. So. Josh, maybe you can earn your stripes back in the next category because category four is the England players who played in the Cricket World Cup final 2019. So the Cricket World Cup final from this year, I just want to know the 11 English players who started, who were named as the starters for the, uh, for the English side in the World Cup final. I don't, I will not accept anybody that came on as a substitute fielder. Just the English players. If you can think about the batting order, then that might give you a clue. But 11 of them. Again, if you get to the end of them, then you both get a point. Any hesitation, repeated answers or incorrect answers will grant the point to the other player. That's been 20 seconds. And Josh, I believe it's you to start this time. So anybody from the English side who played in the Cricket World Cup final against New Zealand this year josh joffra archer joffra archer correct chris ben stokes ben stokes correct as an immense 84 not out in a in england's innings josh joe root joe root correct chris joss butler joss butler correct uh josh johnny bearstow johnny bearstow correct chris um Anderson Jimmy Jimmy Anderson is incorrect I'm afraid no, he did not play you could have had Jason Roy Johnny Bairstow Joe Root Owen Morgan Ben Stokes Joss Butler 
uh, Wokes, Plunkett, Archer, Adil Rashid, or Wood. Any of those would have been correct. To all, as we go into the Ooh. final one. Ooh, no Spotting mm. up. Now, when I was putting these out, Josh, I was trying to think of ones that would kind of suit both of you. Okay. And if one suited one person, like the cricket one, I thought maybe might have suited you more, Josh. One suited mm-hmm. one person, then another one might have suited another. Okay. This one might I feel not, like you're preparing, This one might Josh. not suit you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I may play into Chris's hands more. Is this professional corkball players? Because yeah, that is just blatantly absolutely. unfair. No. Is it Formula One? Our final topic is, it motorsport? <laughs> is Formula One drivers who have won a driver's championship. Okay. Okay. So that's anybody to have won a driver's championship since 1950. And that is obviously them winning the championship at the end of the season. Um, now, Chris. Yeah. It should be your go first. I am going to give the turn to Josh first. <laughs> That's fine. As I feel... No, no offence, Josh, but in this round, you have a slight handicap. Yes, uh, I, uh, I do, Chris, a little bit. It's more of a thing. Okay. But there are names in there that I, yeah. I know you will know. I won't get zero, I'm, no. I hope. Bloody hell. Okay. Imagine if you did, though. Oh. <laughs> um, so that is your 20 seconds. Josh, I'm going to start with you. Any Formula One drivers world champion? Off you go. Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is correct. Chris. Yes. Juan um, Manuel Fangio. He is correct. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Won four back to back from 1954 to 1958. Also won in 1951 and was an incredible driver. Josh. Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher won five back-to-back from 2000 to 2004. Chris? Uh, Nicky Lauda. Nicky Lauda, you are correct. Josh? Ayrton Senna. Ayrton Senna, absolutely, you are correct also. Won 1988, 1990, 1991. Phenomenal driver. Chris? Uh, Alan Prost. Alan Prost, absolutely. Mm. Um, Won several in the 80s. Josh. Jensen Button. Jensen Button, 2009 Braun GP world champion. Chris. Uh, Nigel Mansell. Nige, big Nige. Um, during the time of his moustache, I believe. It was. 1992 for Williams. Nigel Mansell is correct. Josh. I'm fresh out. I'm gone. <laughs> Any names that you can think of that might be famous currently? I was gonna say Mansell, um, and there's another. There's a couple of other British ones, aren't there? And I can't remember the names. James Hunt? Um, no, not him. Uh, <laughs> I would look at you, Matt. I've seen the film, um, which no. was pretty good. There's um, one that rhymes with Schmeyman Schmill, um, which Damon uh, <laughs> Hill could have had, British driver. And his uh, oh, that, I think that might be him. To yeah. be fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, He's but Dad Graham as well. I'll go through some of the, the the more well-known ones. Yeah, Graham Hill, as Chris said. Phil Hill, which is the the, the best name. Phil Hill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Jackie Stewart was on the list. Uh, oh, that's that James that Hunt. Uh, Nelson Piquet. Uh, we had Damon Hill, Jacques Villeneuve, Mika Hakkinen. 
Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, Nico Rosberg, infamously in 2016. Um, I'm just thinking through this. The amount of father and son combos is pretty high, isn't it? It was like Graham Hill, Damon Hill, um, Keki Rosberg, Nico Rosberg. Yeah. there's another Didn't one you mentioned a minute ago. Jacques, as Jacques Villeneuve. Jacques Villeneuve yeah. and Gilles Villeneuve, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as well. It's quite amazing, really. Yeah. But I suppose it's one Dan, of those. If you, really if, you... Wanted to, if you really wanted to challenge Chris, you should have done father and son combos <laughs> who've won the world championship. <laughs> I should have done that. Yeah. That would have been more Josh of a challenge. Name anyone, and Chris could only name someone who had a father or son to have also yeah, won it. Yeah. That'd have been nice. Um, but that means that's the end of the quiz, Chris. Three points for you, Josh. Two points to you. Very respectable for both of you. Um, lasted a bit longer, but I thought was fun that to do a different fun. format. No, thanks for putting that together, though. But, Josh, that leaves you on 18 out Thank of 35. You. Chris, that leaves you on 18 out of 35. Uh-oh. So both of you are neck and neck in the heat. I'm on 18 and a half out of 30. But when it comes to the 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 completion of this round depends how hard you guys go to to how much more I I get on that, and we could be very close by the end of this next round of of quizzing fixtures. But well done to both. I look forward to to the quiz next week. So that's just about all we've got time for. But before we go, we're just going to go through our poll for this week now. Chris, you'll be delighted to know instead of FIFA for Christmas this year, I've asked for Pro Evo. (laughs) And I'm coming for you if it's terrible, but I've heard so many good things about the gameplay. Have you actually? (laughs) I've heard so many good things about the gameplay that I can excuse all the terrible tournaments and Master Leagues and whatnot. Um, Because FIFA isn't fantastic anymore. The one thing, though, where FIFA does... <laughs> Does outweigh Pro Evo is the commentary yeah. for me. Sure. Pro Evo's commentary is inconsistent, I would say. Very yeah. shouty at the wrong times, even when just a player's made a pass. Um, <laughs> but that got me thinking, and then Josh chipped in with his suggestion as well of the poll this week being the favourite, our favourite football commentators. So. I'm going to ask you both for your favourite commentators. I want uh, just a quick explanation for why, and then also <clears throat> we're going to we're going to chat off air and talk about our favourite co-commentators, and that will also be a separate poll. Okay, so Josh, I'm going to come to you first. Favourite commentator and why? I've got to go classic. I've got to go John Motson. Uh, I just think he's had so many kind of memorable quotes. The one and his delivery is just exceptional. I've just looked up the one that I like the best. It's in a sense, it's a one man show, except there are two men involved, Hartson and Berkovich and a third man, the goalkeeper. (laughs) He delivered it so much better. And obviously a sheepskin coat is a fashion, made a fashion icon. What a man. What a guy. And now living out his dream on talk sport. Don't have to see his people don't have to see his face anymore. If he doesn't want to, he can turn up for work looking however he wants. And oh, people just hear his lovely, lovely voice. He'll should uh, be, still be wearing a sheepskin coat. Of oh, absolutely, yeah. Because you don't you know, to just... death in a t- hot talk sport office in his sheepskin yeah. coat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't just drop a, an absolute fashion statement like that, do you? It just it doesn't happen. Uh, great suggestion, Josh. Chris, 
favourite well, commentator and why? Poivo earlier because their main commentator is the magnificent Peter Drury, my favourite commentator of all time, <laughs> a man who his unbelievable vocabulary and uh, delivery with such incredible excitement. No matter so what much it is, excitement, it's, yeah. it's unrivaled amongst all of the commentators. I absolutely love the guy, and it's part of the reason I have the game. It's just to hear his. Uh, one, of his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of my favourite quotes of his was, I think, the Champions League two seasons ago, where Roma had the turnaround against Barcelona, and Drury exclaimed, "Roma have risen from their ruins. Manolas, the Greek god in Rome." <laughs> The unthinkable unfolds before our eyes. And then oh. later on, it's a Greek from Mount Olympus who has come to the seven hills of Rome and pulled off a miracle. I mean, that is <laughs> wonderful. To come up with that on the, on the, Just on the, the spot as well, yeah. It's yeah, amazing. So, to be fair, that is pretty incredible. Yeah. So, Peter's my nomination. Long, long may he live on. <laughs> um, and what a great suggestion. I've gone. Simply because over the past few years, Sky Sports has been in the homes of pretty much everyone with a footballing interest. It's one of the only ways to watch Premier League football. And and the voice of Sky Sports, when we're watching that beautiful Premier League football, especially the big games, is none other than Martin Tyler. I just think that his way with words, his voice is just oh, liquid gold. And... Um, just some of the moments that he has commentated on, none more so than the absolute insanity at the Etihad Stadium where Man City clawed it back to beat QPR and win the title. And his Aguero um, orgasm, for want of a better word, <laughs> was was just a moment of, of sporting history in itself. And I just think that Martin Tyler has to be, for me, the best sports commentator the best um football commentator of all time um especially when you compare him to the likes of the awful jonathan pierce um who <laughs> other than robot wars has yeah. done nothing good um but yeah martin tyler for me so before we go gents who do you think is going to win um jury <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think Martin Tyler might win just because he's so familiar. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's the one people know the best, I would say, nowadays. Yeah. I mean, my answer was purely on my own emotion and love for Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there was no thought given. That's what it has to be. Yeah. Just all about emotion on these ones, yeah. Um, I, I do think Martin Tyler will win. I do think John Motson is probably a national treasure. So thoroughly deserves to win for me John Motson but I do think Martin Tyler will win um <clears throat> but they three choices uh Peter Drury John Motson Martin Tyler but if you don't like any of those suggestions if you think I'm wrong and Jonathan Pierce is a god amongst men then click other because that's always an option in the poll comment below on on who you think is the best one and as I said we'll also put a best co-commentator out there but that might not be quality of commentary that might be sheer stupidity of what the co-commentator says because co-commentators let's let's face it are more often than not just say the most idiotic things um compared to the the main commentator who is quite clearly always really clever and has researched thoroughly before before doing the job um but that's all we've got time for this week Make sure you follow us on uh, on Twitter on at Pod Sports Weekly. 
That's at Pod Sports Weekly. It's the same on Facebook again. That's at Pod Sports Weekly. And if not, if you don't want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook, I'm not sure why, but if you don't want to, then give us an email. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know what you think of the your favorite commentator or co-commentator. That's sportsweeklypod at gmail.com. Sportsweeklypod at gmail.com. Give us a give us a bell. Let us hear from you and let's let us know what you think of the podcast in general. Uh, Chris and Josh. It's been four weeks since the last one, pretty much. Did you enjoy yourselves? Absolutely, yes. As always, it's been good to get back into back behind the microphone. Josh, I, I particularly enjoyed the quiz. That was the thing oh, I've been missing the most in my absence yeah. from the podcast. I was like, "Where's my Monday night quiz answering time gone?" And it's back. Absolutely. Oh uh, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed. A, hosting the quiz, but B, speaking with you guys about sport. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I can't wait to do it again next Monday. Back next Monday? Back next Monday. Sweet. Well, I look forward to that point. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and if nothing else, pass the pod around. Share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it. For anyone that loves sport, just give Sports Weekly a listen. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Monday.